All right, welcome back to another episode of The Flex Coach. Today's guest is Mr. Eric Dahan. He's the co-founder and CEO of Open Influence, an influencer marketing company. He was also featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, as well as the Inc. 30 Under 30 list. Super appreciative and grateful to have him on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to check him out on LinkedIn. Leave us five stars, follow us on Spotify, and thank you. Awesome. Well, um, before we begin, if you don't mind doing a quick intro uh, for the people that may not know who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Eric Dahan. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Open Influence. Uh, started the business about seven years ago now. Um, we're one of the first influencer marketing companies out there. Um, and as a company, uh, we represent the advertisers, not the talent. Um, our job is to just drive as much value for clients as possible. And over the years, we've established offices throughout. So LA, um, where I am now, is headquarters, but we have an office in New York. Um, we have we have people throughout the US. We have an office uh, in Milan. We have an office in London, a uh, team in Hong Kong, and um, a partner in Shenzhen as well. So um, have done work internationally, and we work with a lot of the Fortune 5000 brands and uh, you know, a lot of uh, e-commerce brands as well. How did you get started? What was kind of the initial sort of driving force slash interest? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, to be honest, the whole thing was an accident. Um, you know, was, I, I had an app in college and was looking for a way to market that. And my brother uh, created a denim line and he, uh, was generating so much demand for his denim line that he started, um, but he only had a few sample pair of jeans, right? So he didn't really have a full collection. He didn't have, um, you know, really any inventory, just really a handful of samples, but he was generating so much demand. And the way he did it was by working with people on social media that at the time had, you know, 20,000, 30,000 followers on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and so with, you know, with the app that we started, we tried working with, um, you know, the, these people with large presence on, on their social platforms. And we saw that we're generating a ton of downloads. And the app we started was in the uh, flash sale space. So we we're working with a lot of fashion brands and, um, you know, really, um, you know, uh, focused on featuring discounted goods. Um, you know, so like those daily deal sites, we, what we did was we aggregated a lot of those deals from all the different flash sales companies out there and created a user experience tailored to you and what you liked. Um, and so a lot of the way we got paid was through affiliate commissions. And what we learned very quickly is those commissions could be pretty tiny and tough to scale a business, uh, significantly based on that. Um, and so one of the you know, first steps um, after we started getting downloads in and got, getting an active user base was to start getting brands to feature their product directly on, um, you know, on, on the app. And we went to a trade show. We started talking to different brands 
and we found that those brands were a lot more interested in how we were marketing the app than actually featuring discounted products on the app itself. And uh, we very quickly uh, kind of realized that after three pitches and at the trade show, um, you know, literally on the trade show floor, made a pivot and said, you know, next client we approach, uh, prospect we approach, um, we'll try something else. So I, you know, I walked up to the next brand and I said, Hey, um, you know, we have marketing capabilities. Look what we did for this app we built and started showing them, uh, the progress and the traction. Uh, and they were a lot more excited about that. And, and, uh, and so that's when we sort of made the pivot of starting a marketing company, uh, and really an influencer marketing company, because that was our secret sauce the building out the user base on this app. Uh, and we found that, um, you know, the challenge that we solved for on the growth side, uh, you know, it was a very similar problem that a lot of brands had, right? And, and the thing that was interesting is, you know, when we're scaling the app, we didn't have a lot of money. The working with, with influencers on social was really, you know, it was, it was sort of like a guerrilla marketing tactic at the time. But, you know, it, it was really all we could do because when we talked to agencies and whatnot, they would come back to us with insanely high price points to get started and, and to do work. And so, um, you know, we, we found that, you know, working with influencers was a great solution for us and again, and, and for those brands. And so that's, again, when we decided to make that, that pivot. And ever since then, we've, uh, you know, we, we've been focusing on influencer marketing. We, you know, continue to build out our database. We've built out a set of tools and uh, analytics technology uh, tool sets and capabilities to identify what makes someone influential, uh, you know, how their influence, uh, you know, sways their audience. And we built a series of workflow management tools as well to make it scalable and efficient. A couple of points to note. One, I think, you've kind of highlighted the importance of trying something uh, as early as possible to um, always being open to kind of changing your perspective and changing what your company is essentially about or whatever you, however you started. Um, sorry, however it started in the beginning. I feel like yeah. a lot of young entrepreneurs get married to the idea of doing one way and they get married to their initial sort of idea and they you know, maybe fail to recognize that there's opportunity in, in uh, doing things a different way or maybe even pursuing a different path. So if we could talk about kind of that element, you know, where do you think that element comes from within you? Yeah, I, I think you, you mentioned something really interesting, right? Which is a lot of entrepreneurs will come up with an idea and they'd be married to that idea and they're very rigid in that sort of set. Like it's almost like the idea becomes their baby and they look at any sort of deviation from that or any shift from that as kind of, you know, uh, you know, as an existential sort of challenge or threat to, to that baby. Right. And so, uh, you know, my, my philosophy was, you know, was just different. Um, I'd like to take credit for it, but it was also circumstance that drove it where, um, you know, the main goal in the North star was just trying to find something that worked. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was, it was in pursuit of that and in pursuit of 
what's going to drive value um, for you know customers um, that all you know and for the business that ultimately kind of put us on this sort of path, right? Um, and it was that willingness to change. It was that, it, it, and and it was a really tough, um, you know, it, it, it was a really tough sort of mindset or, or transition, right? To go from investing all this time developing an app and an idea to then turning and saying, okay, now all this great stuff we built, we're going to shelve it. And now we're going to go chase this other thing. And I think that's, that's sort of a hard lesson um, that, you know, it, it, it was one of those things that was hard at the time to make, but um, ultimately knew it was right because we just saw where the opportunity was going. And we said, you know, I said, like, do I want to swim upstream against um, the market with, you know, this app or do I, you know, want to swim with this, you know, downstream and, and with the current, um, you know, with this marketing idea. And so that that's what happened essentially. What advice would you give to young entrepreneurs that are thinking about starting their companies and um, are figuring that process out? You know, the best advice is honestly, um, just do it, right? <laughs> um, it, it, I, I think so many people plan and think and doubt, um, you know, kind of next steps, whether it be, um, in their personal lives or, or career wise or, or, you know, for entrepreneurs business wise. Um, and they're, you know, they want everything to be perfect before taking that next step or they, they want to eliminate any uncertainty before taking that next step. And, you know, the truth is that there's always going to be an uncertainty, no matter what you do, everything at the end of the day, um, is a bad, right. It, we're, we're always rolling the dice with whatever we do. So, um, I, I think the important thing is, you know, come to about a point where you're about 80% certain that it's the right decision and then take that step, right? And, and, and don't, you know, don't waste time doing nothing because doing nothing is a decision in itself, right? Um, you know, the one thing that we can't um, produce more of is time. So... Um, it might feel like by not doing something, you know, you're conser- conserving energy or, or, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, um, you know, conserving resources, but ultimately again, at one point, like your time has a real value and you have to know at a certain point, you just got to pull the trigger and do it. And you might, it might work or it might fail, but at least if it fails, um, you'll learn from that. And then from that point, it's just about learning as quick as possible from your failures and knowing when to label something a failure and move on. Absolutely, I agree. And, you know, I feel like in this day and age, we have the narrative of sort of being patient, um, being pushed around, like it's, it's, it's a good philosophy to follow. And that may, um, you know, that may make people complacent or may make them, um, may make them happy in their complacency. And I feel like you pointed out that time is the only luxury and a sense of urgency is more important than just sitting around and being patient. And, you know, again, speaking from my experience, I've noticed that some of the people that are working with me in this startup that we're creating, they have that so deeply embedded in their in their character that they don't understand action and maybe even, you know, action that doesn't result in anything immediately is definitely more important than sitting on the sidelines and, and just researching. So 
how did you personally create that sort of balance between acting and also spending time on absorbing information and improving and making sure you were capable of taking that action? Yeah, I, I, I think um, just in general, like a, a big part of leadership is and just decision making is, is knowing when, you know, when the right time is to, to make those calls, right? And, and I think that just comes with um, experience, right? Um, you you make enough mistakes, you stub your toe enough times, you're going to learn and get a good sort of sense intuitively around that. But, um, you know, I, I, I think to a certain point, um, you know, looking big picture and, and, and kind of coming to the point where it's, you know, if you're confident in the big picture direction, which I kind of feel like big picture trends are actually pretty easy to, to piece together um, and and look at. And I think where a lot of people get lost is sort of in between the 30,000 foot level and the ground level. Um, and so I, I think at a certain point, you just have to have faith in yourself and faith in your team um, that you're going to figure stuff out as they come and not try to plan everything. So knowing that at least the direction you're heading in it is the right direction. And once you can nail that in, then it's a matter of just going forward. And then also, I mean, these are also calculated risks, right? So, um, you know, understanding that, you know, what the potential outcomes are of a certain decision and then understanding that, you know, once you start seeing it, you know, the outcome go in a certain direction um, and one of those outcomes manifest, um, you know, understanding what you're going to do. So what that reaction is going to be, right? Um, if you, you know, if you launch a new product um, and you see that a lot of users are really loving this one feature that you didn't really pay attention to, but the main feature that you thought would be amazing was great, you know, it's a good sign that don't waste more time investing in the feature that's not you know, that you thought was great, but isn't that the market doesn't think is interesting, focus your energy on that other one. And that might lead you down a path. And I think, I think a lot of the time too, um, you know, when you look at a lot of um, visionaries out there, um, you know, when I, you know, it, it looks so big and insurmountable, the things that they have, and it looks like something that took so much foresight and so much, um, you know, genius to come up with. And I, you know, and I, and I think that's definitely um, true in, in some cases, but I also think that oftentimes um, when you're first starting anything, the vision's not clear until you start taking those steps. And then as you start taking those steps, um, you start putting together the puzzle pieces that really um, make the entire vision clear and really give you sort of a, a much more concise and firm trajectory of, of where um, you know, your business can go where, you know, and, and what the growth opportunities are for you as well. So when you're, when you're, when you're starting a business, um, you know, how do you figure out who you want to be, who you want to have involved with you? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, I've always kind of looked at things as you have these really sort of inherent traits in people. Um, and then, you know, on top of that are the skills, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of, before looking for the skill set, um, which, you know, which is easier to kind of vet for and more direct, right? And that's what you see in a resume and that's what you can vet for pretty quickly. 
Um, it's just really inherently understanding that person, understanding what drives them and motivates them, um, and understanding just more about their character and assessing, you know, one, is it a fit culturally with, with you know, your values as, as an entrepreneur? Um, you know, is, is there a shared perspective? Um, you know, and, you know, is this person someone that is open-minded, that's driven and passionate about whatever it is they're doing? Um, you know, and is, is it someone that's willing to learn and eager to learn and push themselves? And I think that inherently, if that is the case, you know, skill sets are always evolving and the, and, and certain, and the need for certain skills is always changing. So I, I think, you know, what really marks a good team member is someone who's able to adapt with that um, because skills quickly become obsolete, right? And so if you're just hiring someone for a fixed set of skills that they have, but they don't, they are not showing a lot of growth in today's world, I just don't think they're gonna fare as well as someone who, you know, might start with none of the skills, but is, you know, has the ability to really learn. Um, and, 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 you know, and I think in terms of values as well, I mean, personally as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I, I really value honesty and, you know, candor, transparency, um, and, and, you know, creating an environment where um, people can openly disagree, but they have to just do it in a way where they're not being disagreeable, right? Being respectful to one another. Um, and I, th I think ultimately, if you are trying to do what's best for the business and you're speaking honestly and you're, and you're passionate, then you're going to go in the right direction. Um, because that's, you know, because there, there's going to be no, you know, sort of way to inhibit that as an organization. I think companies that are structured too much top down or that don't openly encourage thoughts to come from anywhere, ideas to come from anywhere, or they, you know, for political reasons internally, they'll discourage disagreement. Um, and they look at it in a sort of very tribal mentality, right? It's like a, you disagreeing with me is an attack on me personally. Or, or, you know, I, I think that's all very toxic behavior. Um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite things is, you know, when I think, you know, when, when I think I'm right in something and I'm proven wrong, um, it, it's always a, you know, it, it, it's always a nice opportunity to say like, okay, well, you know, it just widened my worldview a little bit or my perspective a bit. And so I, I think organizations that can do that, um, you know, really have a huge edge up and and they could focus and align everyone on on the north star of in our case it's it's driving value for our clients um and so making sure that all the actions tie to that and an environment's conducive to people you know being able to improve on that and so i think you know it, it took time to kind of at least personally to figure out what my values were um as an entrepreneur um you know what kind of environment i wanted to create and, and foster, um, and, I, and I think, you know, and I, and I think it's key, and I think in terms of specific values, I, you know, it's gonna be different for every sort of business um, and every entrepreneur, but, but I, you know, it's very important to start writing those down and, and at least forcing yourself as an entrepreneur to find what you find valuable, because that's really gonna help you sort of think through and analyze yourself and, um, and how you operate, right? Because I, I believe that our values and our principles are the operating system for us, right? And so, you know, they're the algorithms that decide who we are. 
And so by being able to be conscious of that, you're really able to change who you are and and live a life of much more intent and make um, you know decisions with much more intent rather than making decisions that are out of habit or reaction. I'm curious to hear um, your perspective on you know, having that humility and being open to learning regardless of how successful you become and, and, and you know, how high of a level you achieve. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think, I think, um, and I can't speak for others, but I could speak for myself in the, in the sense where, um, you know, I, I, I personally always feel like the little fish, right? <laughs> regardless of, of um, you know, what sort of success metric looks like. I remember starting out the business thinking, you know, when we get you know, to this level, um, yeah, we, we, we made it, right? And then as soon as we got to that level, it's like, oh shit, you know, when we get to this level, then we made it. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's realizing in life that there's always going to be a bigger fish. And I think, um, you know, people say shoot for the stars. I, you know, I say, you know, hold yourself to a really high standard, like hold yourself to an unrealistically high bar. And that's going to really drive you. I mean, personally, when I look at, um, you know, it sounds kind of crazy, but when I look at people like Isaac Newton or Albert Einstein and what they've accomplished, when you look at guys like Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, you know, people say, well, you know, I'm not going to compare myself to Elon Musk. And I say, well, why not? Right. Like he's, he's a person like anyone else. Um, you know, he, you know, he has the same capabilities, you know, more or less as anyone else, but, you know, he's extremely driven and at least holding yourself to that same standard or trying to will give you something to always achieve. doesn't mean we'll get there. It doesn't mean I'll ever get there, but it definitely is in, in terms of setting a North star. It's a, it's a bar to reach towards and really a guiding star to say, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to do it. Right. And there might be certain inherent strengths or weaknesses, um, you know, that help me or hurt me respectively. But, um, you know, I think ultimately it's that drive that keeps you going. And I, I think what I personally fear is being complacent because I think again, time is the most valuable asset that any one of us have. It's the asset that we all share. No one can make more of it. And so when I look at this, I'm constantly, you know, in sort of the state of, anxiety of like shit what am I doing with my time today how am I best using it you know how can I you know achieve what these other high achievers have done um, and, and and so I think in terms of humility like that that goes a long way I think in keeping at least me uh, pretty grounded and humble just looking up and seeing um, how much others have achieved and and how much you know opportunity there is. That definitely makes sense. Um, before we close out, I do want to talk about failure and uh, dealing with rejection. If you could recall any instance where, you know, when you first started the company or when you first started Open Influence, uh, whether it was uh, trying to raise capital or just kind of pitch the idea to people, you know, how did you deal with rejection and uh, and then we'll get to failure because two separate things. Yeah, you know, on the rejection front, it, it, it's funny because I think, I think especially for a lot of people in sales roles, for example, um, you know, there's always this talk of rejection. Like, you know, you you make a hundred calls, and 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 you know, maybe a handful will be interested, and maybe one 
um, you know, will, will turn into something, right? And so there's always this idea of rejection, rejection. And I, you know, and I've been through a huge share of rejection, right? When going out and raising money, um, you know, right out of college with a, you know, service-based business that wasn't this sexy unicorn business that a lot of VCs were interested in, not being in those, you know, the Silicon Valley circles. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, it, it was hard just to get those meetings. Then when I was in the room, you know, you, you have to work twice as hard um, just to, you know, just to make the same point that someone, you know, who, who has more validation or credibility could say the same thing and doesn't have to work as hard to, you know, to make that case or make that point. Um, and so I think, I think, you know, with humans for better or for worse, um, you know, the messenger gets judged a lot, sometimes even more than the message itself. Um, and, you know, but I think the interesting thing with rejection is I, you know, I've never felt rejection in that sense, like as a, as a personal thing when, when having these conversations is always more so, um, you know, they rejected the idea, they rejected maybe my approach, they rejected um, how I handled that situation, but it was, I, I, I never inherently took it to heart as they're rejecting me as a person. Um, and I, you know, I, you know, I, 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 you know, this wasn't necessarily a conscious thing. That's, that's honestly just how I felt because I'd go after those meetings and I'd think, okay, what could I have done differently um, to get a different result? Um, you know, what could I have changed? Um, you know, is the, does the idea need to be changed that I pitched? Does the pitch need to change? Um, does the tone, you know, in that meeting need to change? You know, do I have to change how I dress? Do I, you know, do I need to change what I bring to the room? Like, what are all those kind of things? And so like that's, you know, I, I kind of look like, well, I can't change, you know, me as a person, but I could change what I do and, and how I handle those situations. And so, um, you know, that that's always been my approach. It's also been my approach dealing with, you know, clients today. And, you know, it's just, you know, I take it as, you know, let me look and understand what we can do and, and, and what your problems are. And, you know, and, you know, in the cases where, you know, we, we don't win a client or we don't win a deal or whatnot, it's always a, a room for growth to say, well, you know, what, what can we change there? Maybe, maybe there's other aspects of our offering that we can improve. And I think it's that constant sort of thinking, um, you know, and it's not easy and it's not, it's not necessarily fun, but you know, that's the, the work I think you have to put in to make those incremental steps. Cause I, I, I don't think progress happens in these big steps. I think a lot of little steps add up, um, over time. And, and, you know, I, I think one of the keys to that is consistently looking at what you've done and how you can improve it and just being very conscious of that and pushing that to the next level. Definitely agree. I appreciate your time. Um, pleasure to talk to you. Please let the people know where they can find you and where they can find the company. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you know, you could find me on LinkedIn, uh, just under Eric Dehan. Um, and in terms of company, just go to openinfluence.com. Um, you know, shoot us a note, shoot me a note personally, and uh, would love to connect.